0: Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. You know, I know if you've been listening to the Let's Be Blunt podcast uh, over the last year and a half, I know the one thing that you keep hearing from me over and over and over again, and I'm not going to stop saying it, is I think that this industry has done it's the greatest disservice to itself by not educating the masses enough. We spend so much time focusing on B2B conferences where we all get together and we celebrate each other, pat each other back because we've got this new piece of equipment or that new piece of equipment, or we want to be able to tell them, I'll I'll send you, show you how to do your books better, blah, 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 blah. But we've not been spending as much time as an industry focusing on what will actually make this industry successful. And to me, that is education, education, education. Educating the masses as to why cannabis to begin with. Well, my guest today is a co founder and chief experience officer at On the Revel, a company working to create curated educational and networking experiences for people breaking into the legal cannabis industry. At her company's revelry events and through the Dope People mentorship, she's working to help make cannabis industry more inclusive, more collaborative, and more diverse, and also helping cannabis owners understand that they've got to include education in their main effort to make sure their industry's even successful. Lulu Sway, thank you so much for joining me today on Let's Be Blunt.
1: Thanks, Fontel. It's really uh, amazing to be on your show today. I'm happy to to share any insights and and hopefully uh, uh, talk a little bit about the psychedelic and cannabis space with you today.
0: Absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I know that you do work, you know, and I'm not disparaging you, uh, but our industry spends a lot of time doing a lot of information to other vendors, other dispensaries, trying to teach and preach to the choir about the business. But we don't spend as much time educating the consumer. I mean, you take a look at the reason why the pharmaceutical industry is as successful as it is every seven minutes on television. There's a new pharmaceutical commercial and that pharmaceutical commercial is there. Yeah. Are they, are they trying to promote a new drug? Hell yeah. But all they're doing is trying to make sure that they put that drug into the conversation of the patient so that when the patient goes to the doctor's office, you can say, well, you know, I think I was like that person on TV. That's mm-hmm. what they're doing. And they're smart enough to understand that that's what they've done now for, you know, 20, 30 years to the point that, you know, Congress stays off of them. I mean, one of the things I've been also very angry about in the last couple of years is the fact that this industry is growing so quickly. I mean, we did $25 billion in legal sales last year, probably about $80 billion in total sales last year, yet we don't spend any time coming together to try to figure out how to crack that nut in Capitol Hill. And how we're going to do that is when we finally start lobbying and doing the same thing that the pharmaceutical industry has done for the last 50 years. What do you think about the fact that, and I know that, does your company focus just on industry educational information, or do you also focus on educational information that the industry can share with the public? So there's a couple of, we do kind of both.
1: And there's another project that I'm also a part of, which is the Cannabis Media Council So these uh, commercials, the pharmaceutical commercials that you've been talking about, like we haven't seen any of those types of things for the cannabis space. So,
0: It's been illegal in most states. They don't allow you to sell to advertise by brand. But in every state, they do not block you from educating and education on the topic. And so what bothers me is the fact that this industry, again, 25 billion in sales last year. There's no excuse for the fact that we're not buying time on Saturdays and running infomercials just on the value of cannabis. Skip the brands. Have the brands put their names as being sponsors, but just educate the public. Why should that 65-year-old lady pick a tincture with a little THC and CBD over taking a sleeping pill? We need to start doing that more.
1: A hundred percent. And part of the cannabis media council, and I'm happy to talk to you about this offline too, is is bringing the industry together, independent of brands, independent of category, to start making some of these national level based campaigns that are pushing cannabis with forward, positive forward forward messaging. So almost like the got milk. A commercial did for yes. the dairy industry. Um, we This organization started this year and we're moving forward with um, those type of campaigns for destigmatization, normalization, um, nothing around consumption specifically, but around stories, around people, around how this plant um, and the many forms of how it's been helpful for so many things across the board.
0: Well, you know, campaigns like that would be incredible. I'm, I'm working at uh, you know, I've, I've got my own branded products that are out. But at the same time, I'm also working to, I, I, again, I, I just launched the THC brand in Massachusetts where. Congratulations. You know, oh, no, thank you. Um, I started out in 10 dispensaries. I'm now up to 27 dispensaries. I have visited close to 20 of those dispensaries myself, not only educating people on the product that I've created, but educating them on why cannabis, why choose cannabis over something else. That's what's so important. And the people are coming out and they're coming out in droves because, you know, there's a paucity of information out there. You know, as much as we think we who are in this industry think, oh, everybody knows about cannabis. They don't. They don't they don't. Yeah. They don't. know about the history of cannabis. They don't know about the history of of the fact that this country was built on cannabis. You know, the majority of them don't know that the U.S. government owns a patent patent on cannabinoids. Um, you know, uh, they don't know. And if they knew it could change and help destigmatize. I think in ways that we've not even begun to understand. Um, I mean,
1: I totally agree with you, and I think you know um, our industry is is limited in so many ways in terms of how they can advertise or market, or you know, we don't have the same traditional tools—Facebook, uh, Google, uh, Instagram—all of those things. So um, I think the fact that you're going to these stores physically in person to help educate folks. Is one of the things that um, has, you know, that gra- that grassroots way of communicating and connecting with people is kind of like the, the thing that we have right now in cannabis,
0: and that's it, it's the thing that we have to have right now in cannabis. We spend so much time doing B two B information, the brand new extraction machine, this, that, and all the stuff that really, to me, is just it, it's superfluous. It's not important. The, the industry is here. We are here now. We're being eclipsed by the dark and gray, the black and, and gray markets. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they are spending time on the street uh. handshaking and talking to yep. their customers. We're yep. spending so much time trying to figure out how we can get the new display case in our dispensary, which most people don't give a damn about. Display case doesn't matter. They want to know, why should I even bother walking into your dispensary? That's where we got to start getting them. So let's talk a little bit about before. I'm sorry, I jump right in with a heavy question, but let me <laughs> it back up a little bit and say, well, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, about your background, where you grew up? You know, what was your first cool. experience with cannabis?
1: So I would say my experience with cannabis is it's probably pretty different than a lot of folks. Um, I'm actually was born in China, in northern China, and my parents came to the U.S. and landed in Eugene, Oregon, of all places. I don't know if you've been to Eugene or to Oregon. I've been it, to Oregon, yep. Absolutely. So it's, a, it's kind of like a hippie utopian in a lot of respects. So when we landed in the US, my parents had no idea what Americans were like. Um, and it just turned out that the folks that helped us acclimate, taught us English, babysat me, they were all legacy growers. So it's it was interesting that since ever since I remember, cannabis, uh, psychedelic medicine has just always been part of my life. So I grew up with it. Um, you know, my aunties and I went to my first Dead show when I was five. Um, we were ra- I was raised by crystal healers, the folks that were coming back from the ashrams in India, the, the yogis. So it it was a really interesting way of growing up. So um, cannabis has always been part of my life.
0: As as a consumer, also, or
1: I mean, my first experience with cannabis, I was I was thirteen. I I was interested, and you know, my my aunt procured for me. She went and and found the best that she could, and she said, "I'd rather have you, you know, me be part of your first experience and watch you and and know that you're safe than you know you going off trying to find something um and hanging out with your friends." So uh, I was very lucky to have a mentor um as a guide um to sit with me. So. That was a really amazing experience. I really got to feel safe and experience that. And that experience kind of helps me become that person for other people. So as friends and families and sometimes colleagues, I've been I've been that Sherpa um,
0: for Great. first experiences. That's excellent. So, but then you graduated from high school, went to college, and your your first foray into business was in software, right? You're, Correct. You software. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. So I fell into
1: technology. So it was uh, the summer of my freshman year of college. This was in 1994. My cousin, who is a computer programmer, said, hey, do you do you want to make $10 an hour? And at that time, I was like, hell yeah, I want to make $10 hell an yeah, hour. Right. Hell yeah. So my first job for the internet, um, it was for the first automotive website <laughs> when Yahoo had maybe 40 links. So I went to the dealerships. I went and grabbed all of the brochures the car brochures and i learned how to put them online so i learned html and web design and that was my first taste of uh technology and that company got bought and they said hey do you do you wanna you know we know we're in college you want a part-time job with us and i said yes so as the internet grew um, I agree with it, and I've been 20 years now in software uh, design, technology, uh, UI, UX before it had a name. So um, it's it was it's interesting because I feel like right now we're we're also at that new precipice of a lot of things um, that I felt back back in the day with technology.
0: Well, why did, you, why did you decide? I mean, you were in, in a field that, that's extremely lucrative and, and doing very, very well. Why did you decide to change your focus a little bit and change your career to meld the two, cannabis and that software experience together? I
1: think for me, what's beautiful about the cannabis space right now is the ability to create your own path so at this when washington state went online um my my friends from college uh root science guys called me up and they said hey we're using the seed to sell uh software program that just really isn't working for us can you can you come take a look and see if there's anything you can do to just help us help it map to how we you know work so at that time i went back to Seattle, um, I looked at the program, they had just uh, closed off their API's. So there wasn't a way to interact with the software at all um, outside of what they had. Um, So I'm like, guys, I can't do anything for you. And they said, Well, why don't you just stay and learn, you know, we're building this company, see if there's anything you can do. And so for a year, I lived with these guys in a remote city outside of Seattle. And I came up from the extraction processing and post-processing side of the house because they were introducing to the cannabis space these really amazing machines that were creating distillate. So I was able to pull out the terpenes and the cannabinoids. Um, You know, it was a company called VTA that was doing it in other industries. So I got to go with them. I got to look at um, the different markets when I, you know, went with them on the installs. Um, I designed a software program that would help track um all of the uh, extraction um the biomass all the way to distillate so it was it was a really awesome learning experience and, and that's how i was able to meld the two
0: wow now tell me about your your company on the revel
1: so on the revel started in 2016 um based in new york city my co-founder jacoby holland and i met at a 420 party that was hosted by women grow And back then, there was a lot of conversation around advocacy, there's conversation about investment there, but there really wasn't a lot of conversation around what was actually happening, boots on the ground. So we saw all these numbers, like 2 billion market, green rush. So there's a lot of speculation and a lot of, you know, snake oil being talked about back then. I mean, still is now. So it was the first time I met someone who was also a black man. Um, talking about what was actually happening in cannabis because he was coming from the Colorado market. So, you know, we looked at each other and we're like, wow, there's so much misinformation happening out there. Let's see if we can put together a really cool meetup and, you know, invite the people that we know are doing great work that we love working with. And just to really create this trans." and accessible information for folks that are interested in getting into cannabis. And that's how it all started.
0: Wow. Well, and then, and the concept was?
1: Concept was highlighting people that we think that look like us first and foremost, because back in 2015, 2016, there was not a lot of people of color
0: that you saw in the cannabis space. And then, so, even right now there's not a lot of people of color even now. right now, right?
1: Exactly. So, you know, we met really awesome people that were not, getting a lot of FaceTime, you know, they weren't on the speaking circuits, but they were, we knew they were the ones holding the companies together. So we really wanted to put them forward to our New York audience, because you know how New York is, it's like, it's a different way of connecting. Like we want whoever's on our stage to be the guy, you know, if someone's looking for someone to do X, we want them to be our guy. So what's really special about our programming is we never do a call for speakers. We always, listen to what our audience and our community is interested in. Then we create the programming around it. And then we'll go through a Rolodex and say like, well, who's the best person that can speak on this? Who's dynamic? Who's going to make the most impact? And also who looks like us. So in any of our events and anything that we do, it's always one to two degrees of separation from us. And that's how we've been able to create a really tight and amazing network of people.
0: And, and at your events, what do they focus on? Explain events.
1: So previously, we would pick a topic you know that was interesting that we kept on hearing in you know our prospective markets. So what we like to do is we'll pick a theme, and then we'll invite different perspectives from for, to talk about that theme.
0: So it could well, be give, give an example of what a theme would be.
1: So uh, for example, we did something around Vapegate. Remember, like three three years ago, there was all this controversy with vaping. So right. we we brought in someone who was on the testing side. We brought in someone from the science side. We brought in someone from the retail side and also from the ancillary side. So, you know, people giving different perspectives on how to think about or address the situation. Um, and that's how we always like to do this. It's like it's not about always being, you know, everyone um, having the same voice. It's about providing different perspectives and voices so people can you know, learn and also come up with their own decisions as well. You know, our goal is, is not to tell people what to do. Our goal is to provide transparent and actionable information that people can always, uh, if they're interested in, learn more about action on and, know, you can lead the horse to water, but you never, uh, make it drink, but we want to, you know, have the cleanest pool possible.
0: Sure. 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 We, you know, I, I literally, um, you know, I launched a brand in uh, Massachusetts this last year, a THC brand that, you know, started off in 10 dispensaries. Now I'm up to 27 dispensaries. I've literally visited almost 27 of the, 20 of those dispensaries. And I'm about to go back and visit about another five or six uh, doing what I kind of call like patient appreciation events where, you know, when I'm there, people come out to see me, but they also get an opportunity to hear you know why cannabis? That's the one thing that I think has been really missing in this industry. Yeah, not explaining to people why cannabis. That needs to be be front and center. I think to literally move the paradigm, even with legislators, because right now they don't have enough consumers, voters kicking their door down and saying, "This is why I want to have cannabis." They have a lot of people in the industry trying to kick their door down and say, "This is why I want to sell cannabis." They could give a crap less about us unless we can give them tax dollars when the constituency, when their voters start saying, excuse me, why are you blocking me from having something that could actually affect the difference in my life? I think you'll start to see politicians turn the corner. But right now, as long as it's just us in the industry knocking on their door and trying to lobby them, they they could turn a cold shoulder at us in a heartbeat. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how
1: to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I totally agree. You know, I, and I think um, to your point, that's one of the reasons why we, we host these events, you know, right now we used to be a little bit more industry specific, but our last two events in New York, we've been bringing uh, our events into uh, different neighborhoods. So our last one was up in Yonkers. Uh, This next one, we're having a block party on the 28th in Bed-Stuy. So, you know, part of all of this is, is also, you know, being in neighborhoods that were very heavily impacted by the war on drugs, and trying to be intentional and trying to um, present things in in a way that um, can actually help communities that can also, um, you know, talk about workforce development, talk about restoration. So there's a lot of things that we're trying to do that are outside of our echo echo chamber that you talked about, like it's not always about supply chain, Right now, we have this opportunity in New York with the adult youth coming online to really make an impact and to really con- connect with the community.
0: New York could, could be, the, I, I'm looking at it, hopefully I'm going to be getting into New York myself um, through a connection I have with an, a multi-state operator that's coming out of Massachusetts. I think New York could be the bellwether state. New York could be the, the paradigm shifter if we hit the ground running the right way. But if we hit the ground running because we're fighting over a little piece of turf between dispensaries, it's never going to happen. If we hit the ground and recognize that we got a state that could literally be the biggest grossing state in the world, the biggest grossing Mm -hmm. area in the world, and approach the consumers. Look, I mean, I said it earlier. It's like, you know, you turn on the TV every seven minutes, there's a daggone commercial for something. I don't care what ails you, they're talking about it. And they're not talking about it because they're just trying to sell that product. Well, they are, but they're trying to make the consumer remember the name, the name, the name, the name. That's why they say the name 17 times in the commercial. So they got songs about the name, the name, the name. So that when the patient goes to the doctor and says, you know, I've been having this problem with my right knee. I heard about this stuff called uh, <laughs> uh, is that work? And the doctor says, Oh yeah, as a matter of fact, his rep just came out, have some right here for you. That's what, how we change the paradigm. When the doctor starts realizing at the rep. I mean, there's no reason why every doctor's office in the state of New York doesn't have a shelf with CBD on it. I totally agree. But we don't because we're not going after holding events for doctors to come to the room and listen to a consumer, a patient explain why I want you to tell me about it. The second we start to catch that and understand that, games change. Yeah,
1: I think also, you know, East Coast is so much different than West Coast, you know, mm-hmm. like even even the doctors, right? The East Coast doctors are, I think, a lot more conservative are um, They don't want to risk. They don't want to risk. They want to. They don't want to be the first one of their amongst their peer group from Yale or Harvard to. They are, but at this.
0: the same time, but at the same time, Harvard, Yale, uh, George Washington University, University of Maryland, you know, University of Pennsylvania, all these univ- universities are now including courses uh, on endocannabinoid system, That's where five years ago they weren't. So, the East Coast is prime. You know, they are not. You're right. They're not leaders. They are definitely followers and they will follow the money. <laughs> and what you got to do is yeah. recognize how to market towards these guys. I, I'm so sorry. I'm on my, my, my soap can, but you know, it's like, um, I mean, we're going to be holding some events in the Massachusetts area, which are going to be like patient appreciation days where I want to be able to bring patients out, especially because a lot of the East coast states have included some form of public-private consumption in their legislation. So you can't, like, in the state of New York, you can consume cannabis anywhere you smoke a cigarette. Correct. So there is public consumption. So why not hold public consumption events on private properties? Yeah. And those public consumption events educate Give people reason. This isn't just about catching the buzz. Here's what you're doing for yourself. Bring in the Dr. Sue Cicelys. Bring in the people who are right now leading the charge in research around the country and have them speak to, uh, I think, in a, a target audience that is just begging for more information. Yeah, and
1: I think one point that you brought up, I think we, should, we never should um, forget when we go adult use is the medical side. So, you know, if you looked at other other states, once adult use comes online, the medical program gets kind of, you know, just kind of dropped. A lot of the regs come out that really punish, you know, patients. So I think it's really important to, to keep that program moving forward and, and keep that programming separate. Almost then.
0: That's also another reason why we need education. I mean, most of the thing, first off, I mean, the fact that we as an industry had the audacity to separate the two. Anybody who moves towards cannabis over any other recreational drug is moving towards cannabis for a medical reason underlying anyway. And when the industry starts stating that unequivocally, I think it changes the paradigm. Those who say, I just want to get high. No, you don't. You want to get high so you can go to sleep better. There are people who say, I want to go, I want to be able to relax when I get home, or I want to be able to sleep better, or I want to not feel so anxious. Those are all medical reasons. Whether you actually call it a medical reason or not, eh, that's a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. But there's an underlying medical reason why you gravitated towards cannabis over taking a shot of brown whiskey, okay? So if this industry started emphasizing that, even in adult use, it's for an underlying reason I think, number one, you'll make the consumer feel much more responsible and even feel better about themselves, not thinking that, oh, you just threw me in a category of stoner. (laughs) Agreed. But you put me in a category of a person who recognizes that I had a choice to make in how I exercise my right to a public or to a, a personal euphoria And I choose cannabis over alcohol because I recognize that cannabis is not going to give me the hangover. Cannabis is not going to give me the headache. Cannabis is not going to destroy the blood cells. Brain cells cannabis is going to impact my endocannabinoid system. There is no alcohol cannabinoid system, no alcohol (laughs) molecule system. There's an endocannabinoid system. That's what's being taught. So, I mean, it's kind of like that's where I think the messaging has to start now or we're going to be faced with what we're looking at right this today for the next 20 years.
1: No, I totally agree with you on that. It's uh, it's 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 kind of unfortunate that you know we just they've taken the tools, you know, the a lot of the tools that you know we could use to uh, advertise, to market, to educate, and uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to one day when we can use traditional forms of media to to really get that message out there
0: and but you know but honestly it's like see again it's it's one of the things that we have to start i think we as an industry have to start doing is recognizing yes almost every state that's put in some form of legislation has thwarted the ability to market your brand yeah or what the rising tide lifts all boats my friend you know what i mean so if, if you know we start talking about the efficaciousness of a plant period, doesn't matter what brand it is, doesn't matter what cultivar it is. The, the plant itself has been medicinally efficacious for well over 3,000 years. If we, you know, again, this industry made 25 billion dollars last year in the legal market. It made probably 80 billion last year. In the gray and black market, uh, combined. So put it together. There's enough money there for us as an industry to have come together, thrown a couple of dollars into a pot, and done a theatrical release documentary. There's yeah, enough money for I- us to have come together and, and put on. Just like you know, every Saturday or Sunday, I turn on the TV and I see infomercials trying to sell me a blender, a a, 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 a pot, a, a oven. I can throw an infomercial up there that starts to talk to me. Just If you remember, I I liken it to the commercials that ran for a long time, and they're still on every now and then, uh, Cancer Centers of America. What was Cancer Centers of America? That Not one of those commercials talked to you about a product. They talked to you as a lead generator to let people know where to call to get more information about if they had cancer and they wanted to seek out a cancer center in their area. That's all it was, so if we started doing more theatrical or more promotional level infomercials about cannabis information there's nothing about there's nothing illegal for me to do a half hour special about the origins of cannabis, I could yep. do that by the time on Saturday, which is remnant app remnant time it's cheap, and put that on you know every independent television station around the country yeah
1: you I would also love to see cannabis, the char- character, being treated differently in, you know, film and TV, you know, like oh, like what you're, <laughs> what you're talking about, being able to write cannabis in as a treatment for someone going through cancer, I, right? I know you know, how about
0: this? How about this? I I I defy you to tell me that there is a single show on Netflix. Where the hero or heroine doesn't come home from work, go to the counter, pour themselves a four inch glass of some brown liquor and swap yep. it down and probably have three or four of those in a scene while they're talking about something else. They don't they never promote the bottle of liquor, but we show them coming home. Well, now we know that that's not the case as much as it used to be. Right. There, those same people coming home and lighting up a joint. Why can't they do that? Why can't they come home and say, I agree. Um, I'll, I'll be right back. I'm going to get a gummy. Boom. That's all I got to say. Uh, yeah. I, I got to take a little tincture. I'll be right and, back. I,
1: and I, and I challenge the entertainment world to kind of stay away from the stoner trope, right? Like anytime cannabis is in a movie or a show these days, it's like, Oh, it's the, the stoner brother that, you know, gets into all of these situations or X, Y, and Z and, and, you know, treat it in a different way, you know, make, make it a, a, a supporting character that that is just different than what it is. Like I how
0: challenged focusing before he, he starts studying for his, how about it's a, it's a, it's a supporting character who took a hit when he came home from work because he was just 10. I'm just, ah, that was such a hard. How book. about
1: it was essential worker during COVID who Correct. after, you know, who came home after treating so many people on a ship for 36 hours to just chill out and be able to sleep and rest. And what it's, about that?
0: Correct, especially since we called it an essential service in all the states that were medically and medical cannabis. So I'm, I'm with you, and I, I really applaud the fact that, you know, that I know that your your company's probably moving in that direction. Are you not?
1: We're, you know, we're trying, for Cannabis Media Council, we are mm-hmm. definitely wanting to move towards that, you know, mainstream direction because, like you said, we've, everyone in cannabis, we're in our echo chamber. You know, we, we go right. to these events, we, you know, Do we talk to people? I I bet you everyone in your life, you know, since you've gotten to cannabis, a large majority of them are involved in cannabis. So,
0: I've been involved in cannabis for twenty years. I came forward way before this was vogue. Way I was out there on the street by myself, being laughed at by the same people who are trying to jump in this business right now to make money. So back when I hear you before it was back before it was legal, and I testified or or spoke before at least twenty one different states congressional offices talking to them about cannabis over the course of the last 20 years and now in the last five or six all of a sudden you know there's a green rush but you know where was everybody back in 2002 when i was out there dangling by myself you know hitting the front page news of of, of newspapers because you know i got stopped in detroit or i got stopped in this place you know people were laughing as oh, you just got caught but but the truth of the matter is all that advocacy that I was trying to do back between 2002 and 2010, or 2001 and 2010, literally was the groundwork that was. I, I literally testified before the LA uh, City Council and before uh, the Los Angeles Legislature about or, uh, about uh, when they were first getting ready to change the laws for the number of dispensaries that they were holding, having there. I've testified in, you know, from Connecticut to New York to New Jersey, you name it. Um, and, you know, you're right, though. Now, all of a sudden, everybody that uh, w- had, had frowned upon the industry is now smiling and trying their best to get a footprint in it.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, and it's really interesting. And, you know, it's causing kind of a rift in New York. You know, it, there's there was the underground market, the uh, legacy market that was operating and, you know, having conversations with our OCM, um, you know, and then all of a sudden, and I'd say in the past year, the the gray market has sprung up so everybody's kind of jumped in with you know selling at the bodega or you know in the carts and the trucks and and things like that so you know not just on the the regulated market you know it's it's also happening on the uh the the consumer facing side let's just say um and again to your point like that kind of does mess up a little bit of the education that we're trying to do because we don't know what the products are being, you know, out there, there, there's, I, I just saw one where it was being served in an ice cream cone, you know, like it, it there's just a lot of, there's just a lot of things happening in New York. It's, it's kind of exciting. It's kind of scary. It's nerve wracking.
0: Well, it's a combination of all. I, I, I agree with you. A combination of all because, you know, like we've seen in California on the West coast, I mean, you know, the gray market and gray and black market outperform the legal market. That legacy market is not going to go anywhere until, nope. You know, governments realized municipalities realize that the more and harder you tax the legal market the more uh, harder the gray and black market's going to grow um and that's going to happen unfortunately in new york and i'm just hoping that you know somebody wakes up to understanding that again that's where the education from our industry comes in but those that are in the legal market have to start educating the consumer that you know do you really trust the product that you're getting in the gray market which is not being tested which is not being you know there's no oversight whatsoever um and informing people about you know what we are seeing in some of the gray and black market products
1: yeah i hope you know i hope a lot of regulator uh regulators and legislators can can start thinking things from like the the problem point of view right like the right now in in new york it's like well how do we I think one of the major questions to ask is like, how do we convert someone who a consumer who's been, you know, they have their guy, you know, you have a delivery service. That's where you get, how do we convert that person into buying from a dispensary that's regulated?
0: Well, again, it's going to be, that's going to be, you know, an issue of how hard New York comes down on this tax thing. Cause if they overtax and set the prices way too high, in the legal market, the consumer is going to do what they got to do. You know, they're not going to be going out, going and paying 15 extra bucks for something that they could get $15 cheaper. So and they've got to recognize that. And and then I think, though, again, it's up to the legal market to try to figure out how they can do the same. Let's talk, let's talk about it. Let's, let's look at the gray and black market. It's personal touch. The gray and black market, I got to go and see somebody physically. And and the gray and black market dealer is knocking on the door. They're invited into a living room. They're not telling the person to come over to this street and walk in a door and pay extra money. So how does the legal market have the same sense of personal touch? I think you can have that same sense of personal touch if, in fact, you spent more time educating, spent more time, not giving back, but being present.
1: 100%. It's that, that grassroots part of it. It's connecting to humans. It's forming that relationship. And I think it'd be great for, you know, if there was a way to learn from the established operators that are already here in New York on the underground, if there was a way to learn from them and also give them incentive to come over to the regulated market, I think that would be really, really amazing. You know, like imagine someone, uh, white collar guy coming in, trying to get into cannabis. Um, But I just think New York is gonna be so different because that person is not familiar with how New Yorkers shop. That, That person is not familiar with the cultural aspect. That person is not familiar with the strains and uh, the the things that are popular within you know specific markets submarkets within New York. So I'm I'm I really mean, hoping.
0: I, I would think that if if you know if I were were opening a dispensary in New York, I would definitely find my own. If if I had to partner with somebody else who owns a space, where I would you know do the old, fifteen year ago. I'm not sending out email blast. I would literally put pieces of paper in people's hands and have people hawking on the corner. This Friday night is going to be a private consumption educational event at 30, blah, 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 whatever block. Um, uh, first come first serve first 300 people in the door, um, you know, uh, we'll get to consume for free. Well, on that one night, you could probably get 300 people to walk in that door and, be there because they are willing to listen. They want to hear about why cannabis. And if the dispensary was the one that was putting that on for them, you'd have 300 loyal uh, customers, I think.
1: Yeah. I I think you just described some of our revelry events as well. Uh, We don't have a brand, but we do have, we don't have a physical cannabis brand, but we do bring really amazing people together to, to, you know, connect and celebrate and learn. And uh, I, I think it's it's really interesting i think when you when you have these type of events when you connect with human beings on this human to human level that's how you create loyalty in terms of
0: absolutely no i'm with you absolutely 100% so tell me a little bit about your dope people mentorship program
1: so it's uh, dope people is our membership program actually so um, we do have an area off of our website, and on the revel.com. Um It's free for membership. It's a place where we put all of the resources that we've been collecting. So resources meaning we have a directory of service providers and folks that, you know, we've worked with or our first degrees have worked with um, from lawyers to accountants to construction to um, terpene providers to all of the things. Um, it's also a place I'm going for a retail license, in New York. Um, my partner Jacoby is going for um, manufacturing processing. So we're putting the things that we're learning along the way in that area as well. Um, it's a place for people to connect. It's a place for people to, um, you know, download information. We also have a, a Discord channel called Dope People, where you know our member members can um, access each other and information and you know, it's a place, what we're always trying to foster is is connection.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. Uh, and you said you're going for a license in New York. How difficult is it is it right now to get a license in New York?
1: So we it's the waiting game right now. So the first uh, there was first set of conditional licenses for cultivators, uh, so hemp farmers that could um, transition from growing hemp to, to THC. Um, right now, they're focused on the conditional licenses for justice-impacted folks um, for retail. Um, so I think a couple of li- a couple of uh, licenses just went out last week. Um, so that program is moving forward. And then for the rest of the nine license types that are standard, not conditional, um, we're waiting. We're waiting to see what the regs are.
0: And are you, is, your base, is your business focused solely on New York or are you branching out to other states?
1: Um, I've seen what happens when you move too, qu- too quickly to other states, um, take 2019 q three and four, for example. So my focus right now with my business partner on that side is to learn, um, start small, learn and grow. Ideally would love to go, um, across. I, I'm going to skip states. I would love to go over to London, over to Paris, over to Barcelona. Um, that's what I'm looking for. Um, But uh, right now, we are limited to three uh, stores for the retail license.
0: Got it, got it, got it. And, um, you know, just uh, when you look at the industry as itself, what would you love to see change in the industry?
1: I would love to see more people of color in the industry. I would love to see more women along the supply chain. I would really love to see states start creating regs that make sense. I would love them to learn about how operators, what operators need, and how they actually operate so you can make regulations that make sense and don't, uh, you know, for example, like I've seen so many times in California where all of a sudden they, they change the regs for labeling, right? So, okay, there goes 10 grand. There goes the 10 grand that I just spent on labels. Now I have to create new packaging.
0: Yeah, which, is, which is absolutely ridiculous. I chased that California thing for a while where, you know, really got nowhere because again, you know, it takes one vote on a city council meeting on Friday afternoon. Next thing you know, money's out the window.
1: I would love to see people from cannabis industry go in to, to get, get these roles of regulators you know, I was I would at this event in California with one of my girlfriends and this gentleman came up and was like, oh, hey, you know what? I, I wrote the regs for edibles. You know, you, 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 I love your edibles, but I've never taken, you know, I've never learned about it until I got into the space. And I've actually, I take it back. I've never even taken one of your edibles after mm-hmm. we started talking to him. So it, it's hard, you know, it's like asking someone who's never been an engineer to all of a sudden design this rocket ship, right? Like mm-hmm. I, w- I would love to see people that are making these laws actually come from the industry and or at least have a counterpart. Maybe we can create some co-rolls,
0: you mm-hmm. know,
1: and, and really get a holistic view of, um, of what it really means to create a healthy and, and forward moving progressive um, financially positive uh, industry as
0: well. Well, you know, I tell you, as soon as you if you get your licenses in New York, let me know because I've got some product ready for you, sitting on the shelf, ready to go. um nope. And I, I will definitely have a manufacturer in the state of New York that'll be able to provide them. So.
1: Montel, I would love for you to uh participate in our public comment period because right now, with the way that packaging, the first uh, iteration of packaging regulations, it's starting to look like Canada—no branding, none of that. Like so you know we're talking about being able to showcase your brand right now the regs are so limiting to that
0: so, it's so if, ridiculous It's absolutely is ridiculous
1: so if you have any any uh any thing to comment on any uh positioning you want to make like we're we're it's a public comment period right now and i think it's going to be a huge mistake if we don't allow for any type of
0: brand recognition it'll be absolutely ridiculous stupid i mean i just don't understand how they can get away with doing that but it's but it's it's again it's it's part of what is the biggest problem in this industry again we don't spend the money together until it's too late to overcome things like this this is something that could have been lobbied and taken care of in five months if we had come together but instead we're going to fight each other trying to make well off you know, maybe they'll they'll let us get away with a great package and stuff, you know, that's, it's ridiculous. Anything else yeah. you'd like to
1: add? Um, I'd love to invite you to our block party on, on August 28th in, in Bed-Stuy, if you're free.
0: Um, You know what? Let me look and see what my calendar looks like. But I think, unfortunately, I'm at an event. Um, You said October 28th?
1: August 28th.
0: August 28th. Okay, minute, let's see. August, Um. Well, we can see. I mean, uh, yeah, okay. yeah, we can see. Absolutely,
1: awesome. And, yeah, reach uh, out.
0: I have well, my office reach out to you for sure. Yeah, no, I don't want to sound like that, but yeah, I've said, <laughs> yeah, yeah. My people reach out. No, I, we'll, we'll reach out and see what's up. Okay, wonderful. wonderful. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Lulu Sway, for being here, and and thank you for what you do. Um, I keep ch- moving on, moving on. I hope you get your licenses in the state of New York, and I hope we get to work together in the future.
1: Yeah, I would love to, and congratulations on your launch in, um, in Massachusetts, and we'd be honored to, uh, to carry your products at uh, our dispensary.
0: Super. Thank you so much. You take care of yourself, and make sure you keep tuning in to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows.
1: I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.